Now, I believe I did meet you at um, your Scream show. Oh, I was just incredibly drunk next to Terrell. So I was yeah. probably like talking, you just couldn't hear me. Oh, fantastic. That was a great <laughs> show. So much fun. Yeah, for about a half hour afterwards, Terrell just was uh, gushing about how cool you were. <laughs> and, th- and I think that's why we're here right now. Because I'm like, oh, Michael sounds rad. We got to get him on the show. And um, Scream, you know, I've been to not as many as I probably should uh, drag shows out here in the Bay Area. And I, uh, dude, that was the best one I think I've ever been to. Like, oh, hands down. That's so nice to hear. Yeah, I um, I was blown away by just the way that you handled the audience. And uh, before we get into that, I I got to tease up top your, um, what, what is it called? Uh, what's your Batman event coming up? The Pride, Pride in Arkham? Gotham. Pride in Gotham. In Gotham. Yes. Oh, you always you want to go straight to Arkham I'm, always, I'm, don't you? I'm into bondage. <laughs> <laughs> I went I went right to the prison. I know. And, right? uh, Trust me, there will be some Arkham residents there. But yeah, it's it's Gotham this time. Okay, so because I want to like kind of pick your brain about Scream, can you just like pitch that immediately? Just because I I want people to go out to your event. Oh, absolutely. So so Scream, uh, that's Scream with a Q instead of a C. Uh, was our immersive sing-along 90s horror drag comedy musical. So uh, I wrote that for The Oasis, uh, our little queer clubhouse here in town, San Francisco. And um, and I think I too was pleasantly surprised by how much people loved it and were so game to come to the show and to sing along to all these 90s songs, basically following the plot of the original Scream, with all the characters you know and love, uh, Nev Sidney Campbell Prescott and Courtney uh, Love Cox and, uh, <laughs> you know, Deputy Davy Dewey <laughs> Riley. Uh, so sort of like playing on the actual actors and the people, the, the characters that they played and following the plot, but adding in some new little stuff to it, uh, but also having a full 90s soundtrack that made it into a musical and when these songs would start up, you would just feel this recognition from the crowd. And everybody just was so game to sing along. And, uh, you know, when you got there, you were in the front room and you were with uh, Drew Barrymore with her popcorn and getting her phone calls. And then that scene, you know, she she doesn't make it. Spoiler. Uh, and the- <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> and the audience was just like so game. You know, in a drag show, you can do things that... You just can't do in regular theater, like, you know, when the, when the phone rings, Drew Barrymore can ask the crowd, should I pick it up? Should I? Yeah. And then the crowd was like equal parts. No, don't do it. And yeah, pick it up. <laughs> it's like, and then eventually with all the people saying, yeah, pick it up. She just kind of flips them off because she knows what's going to happen, you know. So um, so we just kind of it's sort of like a meta way of looking at the at this material that we know and love. And also this 90s nostalgia is so potent right now. I think maybe it's a post-pandemic thing, but uh, it seems like lots of different companies, studios are reaching back uh, to to sort of that time when we were in our youth and uh, this sort of comfort watching for us. So it's really fun now to reinterpret some of that stuff from our youth and uh, and to let it grow up a little bit and to add some drinks and some drag and some singing along to all these 90s songs, some of which you know and love, some of which you know and hate but there's something great about singing them along in a room of 200 drunk millennials, you know, just loving everything about it. So 
that was a very fun show. And that's going to be coming back in 2024 to uh, Oasis. Oh, rad. Yeah. Dude, Clark, you got to go. It was, probably not. <laughs> it was so, dude, it's so, now we, I mean, we do a horror podcast and stream comes up a lot. I mean, it's back. Yeah. The franchise is doing better than ever. Yeah. And I, it's weird in when, in every discussion, it almost never gets praised as like a pillar of the nineties. So mm. when I went there and you were kind of showering it in like this nostalgia vibe, I was blown away. It's, it's always like, we always look at it as kind of a, um, a moment in like the, the subgenre of slashers and how it changed. And it actually kind of made them a little bit stale, I think where mm. they took the paranormal element out, mm-hmm. but yeah, I never saw it get praised as like a '90s movie, and I I was just like shocked. Oh yeah, I mean it's steeped in the '90s. Uh, just the fashions, the the music, the the dialogue. You know that sort of Kevin Williamson dialogue is just so '90s. You know now that we didn't know it at the time because we were just living in the '90s, and you know we were all in our youth. And but but now looking back, you kind of realize that sort of sweet little innocent 90s vibe that it had going on that that all a lot of those movies had um and I, I mean it was such a touchstone for me personally that was really i'd always loved horror movies but it was something about having the characters be the same age and be like the people that you want to hang out with was something that really hit for me and of course you know the mystery of it all the sort of who done it nature so, so many things that I loved as a kid, all hitting in one place with these beautiful teenagers, you know, that you sort of love and hate, and then you love to see them die, but you also want them to live and all that fun stuff. It's just, it's just so fun. But, um, but it re- really is that sort of, uh, that sort of nineties vibe. We, we definitely steeped it in that because, and we went further, like I said. So for yeah. instance, the scene where Gail and Dewey need to go into the teenage party, you know, it, it just like from the movie, they've got to go and then and, and f- figure this out and. Um, and so they're like, but wait, how, why would anybody think that us two adults belong in this teenage party? Meanwhile, our entire cast is all adults playing teenagers. Um, but there's, they were sort of like, okay, wait here, here, take this, um, take this gigapet. That'll help. Okay. And then she she takes her gigapet and here, take these 50 free hours, AOL CDs. That'll help. You know? So just like all these nineties things just get kind of pushed into the plot of it. And it all still worked. Here, take this flannel. You know, it's really big in the 90s. So yep. so we just had so much fun making it even more of a 90s thing. And people were people were just so ready to to laugh at that sort of nostalgia and to also kind of love it and miss it, too. Yeah, it, it's something I wasn't prepared for, but I was prepared for because I knew all the words to all the music. That's right. That I, I don't know. I was, And it's funny, you mentioned flannel. And I realized that the the movie that took over the kind of iconography of the '90s is the Blair Witch. Yeah. Whenever you think of '90s, I what Charlie XCX did that uh, back in 1999 song, and she has a one like it was like two frames of her doing the camera up the nose thing <laughs> with the beanie. Yeah, with the beanie. Hell yeah! Yeah, shout out to heaven. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> I think I've actually pulled those frames because I'm like, dude, even in that music video, the Blair Witch gets no like real love. Yeah. So when are we going to do a Blair Witch thing, Michael? Oh yeah, we got to do a Blair Witch <laughs> thing. Oh my gosh, that one. Should we do that one in the woods and have it be site specific and really scare oh, people? Fuck. <laughs> like a rave where people have to follow a map to the location. Yeah. <laughs> now you know I say that jokingly, but one of the <laughs> so we drink a lot before going there Thank um you. oksana at the time was pregnant 
So we had to drink for her too. Yes, we had a thing did. called a we had a thing called the Buzz Boulder that we bought at a liquor store down the street. Oh lord! And uh, we went in there, and it's funny. I I can only relate what had happened to like John Taffer's butt bumper, right? Is that what he called it? The, the butt funnel. The butt funnel. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about, Michael? No, but I'd love to. What is this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so John Taffer, he did Bar Rescue, uh, and uh, he is in the nightclub hall of fame. Yeah, he he created a thing that he calls the butt funnel, where to get on the dance floor, you create almost like furniture that forces people to a barrier. Walk. Yeah, that they have to walk by each other. And he's like, you know, in this moment, they talk and, you know, they're more likely to go out there and maybe dance together. So he's like, this kind of forces a uh, camaraderie among uh, patrons. Yeah. And when I went into the Oasis, my first thought was, uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think we've ever seen a show there. I think me and Oxana had been there to like volunteer for like Peaches Christ stuff or we'd been there in like a bunch of daytime events. But when we went there, it was a kind of like dive bar, little location. And there are a bunch of ghost faces everywhere. And I'm like, Oh shit, this is going to be an intimate show. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that opens up as kind of the opening kill for scream. Yeah. And, uh, then we move into a bigger room and dude, it was so because my initial like inner reaction was, OK, we're going to be in a little intimate room. Give me another drink. Like, I know what kind of show this is going to be. And you kind of get used to it. But then when you move into the bigger crowd, you're almost like opened up. Yeah. So I'm like, is that like a thing that only you do? Is that like an Oasis thing? So, I mean, it's something that I've done a couple of times at Oasis. Uh, the This idea of sort of immersive theater is really what is hitting for me personally right now, where the audience doesn't have a chair necessarily. There's not yeah. necessarily a stage uh, where all the action takes place. Basically, there's no line between the audience and the performer um, where, where you sort of you. So you start in that little room and we're all standing up. We can sort of find our place and the actors are moving among you. You know, the ghost faces are with you in the crowd. They're not on stage where it's safe and you're in the crowd where it's safe. You know, it's, it's all intermingled, which I'm so loving right now. And, uh, and so the idea of moving people through the space, you can actually do that in an immersive piece. So the first time we ever did it was Rocky Horror. So at Oasis, uh, we started the first, uh, it was a full production, full musical. And, uh, and we started the first few songs in that first room where, where you saw Drew Barrymore get it. Um, so we did, you know, all the way up to when they go to Frankenfurter's castle. And then when they go inside, you go with them to that bigger room at the Oasis and it had that same feeling for people where all of a sudden you're you're sort of in this small intimate space and then you go into this big space and it's like you're at the party that, that in Rocky Horror. And same with Scream, you know, you get that feeling of like, oh, wow, like now I'm in this bigger world. We were in this sort of little house setting and now we're in this bigger world where now it's the there's the fountain that all the kids sit around and there's, you know, now we're at school and now we're at Sydney's house. And like there's just something so neat about um, to making the space be unexpected as well and and moving the audience through and get, giving them a different experience, not to mention having actors among the crowd where then you sort of, your orientation as a crowd member changes, right? You're sort of looking this way at the stage, but then all of a sudden there's something happening behind you and you have to look that way too. And so that is just so much more interesting to me nowadays. And I think to a lot of audience members who have had this sort of Netflix and chill sort of last three years where we've all been sitting in front of the TV <laughs> yeah. and like, you know, we've been trapped in front of the TV and that all sounded so great for the first little while. But now I think people are ready to really go out 
and not just watch a show, but also kind of participate in it in a different way. So, so yeah, I think that that's, that's something I want to keep doing. And that's something that's behind this pride in Gotham idea as well. Yeah. The pride in Gotham thing kind of scares me. Yeah. I want to talk about, I want to talk about Batman now. So Michael, when, when you do this type of show and you use, you know, Batman as the inspiration, I think that, you know, are, are, did you focus more on the, the, you know, 60s Adam West version? Uh, you know, because I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for fun there. Yeah. But also, there's also a lot of opportunity. Now, you know, I think you, it's easier to, to probably produce, uh, you know, that sort of production over a sh- what Schumacher did. Mm. But boy, oh boy, there's a lot of opportunity to have fun with what sh- whatever Schumacher was bringing to the table there. So, I mean, you got nipple suits in the whole nine yards. So, you know, yeah, were you thinking more Adam West, Burt Ward sort of thing? <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, the, the 1989 Batman, I, I still so remember being in the theater watching that as a really young kid. It completely changed my DNA uh, in terms of, you know, just the what I could imagine on a screen. And then Batman Returns was even more. I mean, like I wanted to be Catwoman. I would take my jump rope and whip the trees in my backyard. I just loved everything about those movies. And then, of course, it just kept going with the Schumachers. I mean, I've yeah. had this lifelong true love of Batman and the and those characters, the rogues gallery. I just have always appreciated that. And I think I especially loved it because it was, quote unquote, human, you know, like he was just a guy uh, that against these big, insurmountable, crazy odds. Um, but I, I always have wanted to do a Batman show where, because I, as a kid, wanted to have one night in Gotham. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to have one night in Gotham City to go and experience this crazy danger meet these over the top villains it all you all get saved by the big hero in the end it all works out yeah. but i just wanted to be an innocent bystander in gotham for one night only so that see we are we are completely opposite but i both <laughs> love batman and no gotham seems like the worst place on the planet <laughs> i really have to be I, so reasonable Right, I mean, I'm all about Gotham suburbs for me, please. <laughs> Bloodhaven, maybe I don't know. That was yeah. not so great either. I mean, I'm thinking a studio in Gotham has got to be at least under 500 a month. Like, come on, you can't oh. charge much for rent there. Well, I don't know. I don't know, I don't man. Know. <laughs> I don't know. It's well, crazy. Over so, there. so I told my team when we were getting into this. I mean, it is a Pride show. This is Pride Week. It's June 20th through the 24th. So I said, you know, none of that Nolan stuff. None of no walking Phoenix. <laughs> I don't want any, I don't want any of that grim and gritty. I don't want the Christian Bale yeah. Batman. Like, and, and while I love all that stuff, no Robert Pattinson, none of that. While I, What love do you think about, that, are you pro emo Batman? Absolutely. I mean, like I loved it. Yeah. I, I had a great time with all those movies and, uh, and, you know, and they're just different flavors. And that's the thing that I think sure. that, that Batman as a, as a myth, I mean, this is how I'm viewing it. Like these are the mythological characters that we grew up with, you know, and they really are sort of the stuff of myth. And like that, they can be reinterpreted as all these myths oh, yeah. have been. Yep. So there's so many different angles. The fact that the 60s Batman exists in the same world as the Robert Pattinson Batman and that they're both the same character just shows you how potent this myth is. So, so they're both great and they're yeah, all right. Yeah. Exactly. And there's something for, for different audiences perhaps, but it's the same character. It just kind of, it's a, this is a really powerful story. So, yeah. so there's so many things you can pull from it. So the things that we're pulling from it, I told my team, uh, Let's do the stakes and the character development of Burton's Batman. 
Let's do the queer campiness and color palette of Schumacher. And, there it is. and with the sort of depth and, and development of the 90s cartoon series and a lot of oh, rad. characters. Okay. So that's kind of the, the, the toy box that we're playing within. Um, so it is colorful. It is fun. Uh, but it does have some actual real stakes in it. It's got some, you know, the audience is in quote unquote danger, right? Everything works out. Nobody's actually in any danger, but that's sort of part of Damn. the deal with this story uh, is that you're, you're just, once you enter this building, you're in Gotham and just like any night in Gotham, things happen that are, un, un, you know, not planned. And then you got to <laughs> go with it, you know? So, so that's part of the fun of this one. Oh my God. Okay. So are you promoting people dressing up to portray their Gotham oh, residency? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the, the whole conceit of this is that it's the, the Wayne foundation's pride gala. So you go to the Hibernia, which is this beautiful building in San Francisco. Uh, for years, I thought that it looked like a Gotham city set piece and it was condemned okay. for decades. So when I moved here, it's been closed down the entire time. I moved here in 2004. Uh, it only reopened just before the pandemic and did this. they did this huge renovation, uh, but nobody really knows about it because it happened all kind of during the pandemic. So now it's open as an event space. They've never done anything theatrical before. So this is their first ever like theater piece. But you go in and it has, it's an old bank, first of all, so very Gotham. It's huge vaulted ceilings, skylights that you just can picture Batman busting right through. You know, it's got like, it just looks like one of the movie sets. And it also has, in addition to all these beautiful upstairs stuff, these crazy, creepy, low ceilinged vaults in the basement that are, it's like a labyrinth Whoa. under there. So there's almost like two different sides of this building. So when you arrive, it's this black tie gala for the Wayne Foundation. We've got our classy jazz singer on stage. It's all very champagne and socialite. We've got actors among the crowd sort of being these larger than life Gotham society types. And then, of course, the show starts and Bruce Wayne takes the stage. There's some little sort of rumblings of this escape at Arkham Asylum. Vicki Vale has some things to say about how irresponsible it is for Bruce to be having this party when all these people are out there. Um, and then of course, you know, the villains start to bust in, they surround the audience. We rob the audience. It's a great opportunity for you to take the performers. <laughs> uh, and then after a big dance fight, which I won't spoil too much for you, uh, the audience gets evacuated to either upstairs or downstairs, depending on your ticket and downstairs will have created this entire labyrinth of villain layers. So we've got the iceberg lounge for penguin. We've got two faces dueling DJs where Sugar and Spice from Batman Forever are DJing two very different music sets. Um, we've got Catwoman's sort of dungeons, Shibari parlor, where we've got our little S&M moment. And we've got a riddle room where you can solve all these riddles that have uh, actual stakes in the show. And then upstairs is Poison Ivy's penthouse where it's a whole burlesque scene. And there's all these gorgeous pole dancers and, and burlesque performers up there. And so little pop-up performances and immersive stuff in all of these different rooms. But you get to go through and choose your own adventure and sort of go to different rooms, go wherever you want, dance, drink, solve riddles, watch the performances, lots of drag. Um, and then it all ends in a big final showdown in the main room. So we're telling people, you know, you could dress black tie like this uh, Wayne Foundation Gala. You can dress in your pride best, whatever your pride look is. You can dress in your favorite cosplay, come as your favorite character. It's really an anything goes type of event. And I think your experience will be different 
depending on how you look, right? The characters will interact with you in different ways depending on what you're wearing. You know, what happens if you come as Harley Quinn and then our Harley Quinn encounters you, right? What is her attitude going to be about that? So there's lots of different fun ways that you can approach the event, which I think is also part of the fun of immersive. You know, how how involved do you want to be? How much do you want to interact? But it's really when it comes to the fashion, anything goes. All right. Jorts and a hoodie. <laughs> I'm going to get kicked out. They're going to think I'm robbing the place. Now the Hibernia, Hibernia bank. God, it you're completely right. It looks like it's from Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it's really a beautiful building. We're just going in there. It's sort of worth the price of admission alone. And a lot of people don't know about it. I mean, that's part of the fun of doing immersive theater and site specific stuff is that it's not a theater space, you know? We are making it into a theater space, but you go in and it's just surprising to see how it can be used. And it is really, truly perfect for this kind of show. So, Michael, uh, due to a lack of uh, just, you know, transparency on this and, and just g- general, uh, how, how do you direct live theater like Dude, this? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. (laughs) You know, we got to break it down kind of piece by piece. And I should mention that this is a huge cast. This is the biggest cast I've ever worked with before. It's 45 performers. Um, It'll end up being 50 by the time we're in the room because we're also including some Shibari folks and, uh, and different folks that are participating in the show as more of our people movers and stuff. So it's a huge cast and it, it, you know, it just becomes kind of taking it piece by piece. So we sort of have the Wayne Gala piece. We, we have the, the Villain Lairs pieces. We have the big final showdown piece. And then, um, you know, also just coordinating all the schedules of 45 people is kind of the biggest challenge of it all. But I think the best thing to start with is just working with people that you really know and trust. And that's one benefit of having done this for a while, working in the Bay Area in lots of different uh, performance capacities as a director, writer, uh, actor, I know a lot of folks and it was part of the fun was to cast the perfect people for these roles, you know? So for example, our penguin is mud, the two spirit. One of my favorite performers to watch can give you masculine energy, feminine energy. Like you have never seen penguin quite like this before. It's (laughs) hilarious. It's really true to the character, but it also, I mean, part of what we want to do is not just present Gotham as it is, but also make it queer, make it more diverse. Like, the Gotham City that we grew up with is very white, very cisgendered, very straight. And this is a pride event, you know? And I think that just like we said with reinterpreting this myth, it's also really open to gay energy. You know, it's always been queer coded, let's be real. But yeah, we're bringing yeah. that queerness forward and uh, and also just bringing more diversity to it. So, so that's part of it as well, is if you work with the right people, they make it easy for you to, to do this kind of thing. So... We're just having so much fun with, together when we get together. It's it's a big project. It's a lot to sort of break down and and figure out how to make it all happen. But I think casting the right people is is the the, the key ingredient. So you're going to see all these folks really get to live their Gotham dreams. They all love the characters and really we all respect the material. So that's kind of part of the fun for us as well is is in getting to live this cosplay dream. You know our, ourselves as well. So, um, and then of course, incorporating music, like really great music that we can move to that gets the audience involved. So casting and music is a big part of just my, my process, right? Like you, as you saw with Scream, the, the music 
made it what it was, you know, and added something to the material <laughs> that we already knew and loved. Yeah. All right, Michael, you're very charming. <laughs> and I, I totally believe that, you know, all the best people in town, <laughs> but I think what Clark was hinting at was what I want to know. I want to know if you have like 18 Excel spreadsheets, if you have schedules that overlap. How is this not a logistical nightmare? Here's the thing. We, you know, we put on uh, the Unnamed Footage Festival, which is just a in-world camera film fest that runs a weekend. This, uh, there's always a small fire that needs to be put out. And uh, if we all know our favorite Dwight D. Eisenhower quote, uh, battles were won and lost. Not on the battlefield. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know this quote, but yeah. it's it's about logistics. I thought he I thought he was uh, speak softly, carry a big stick. <laughs> uh, maybe or is that true? It's you will not find it difficult <laughs> to prove that battles, campaigns, and even wars have been won and lost primarily because of logistics. Uh-huh. And this is this is what I'm worried about. Like I'm getting uh, cold sweat when you say there's an up and a down, and everybody's going at the same time. Like, how do you? Because you'll be performing. Yeah. How do you like direct this when in my head, I can't help but imagine a dude in a suit comes up and is like, Michael, what do we do? Somebody's fallen down in the Catwoman room. You know, like, like, how does, how do you do this? Well, it's, you're, you're completely right. It is a logistical nightmare. You should see my Google drive. It, I have okay, so many yeah. folders. I have so many folders and spreadsheets and, and stuff that's shared and stuff that's just for me because it's just too ugly for other people to understand or interpret, you know. I have sort of a whole thing, a whole uh, treasure trove of documents and and, and coordination and logistical stuff. Um, But I also have a pretty good team that will help me out in the venue uh, and getting set up in the venue as well. I should say that this isn't my first rodeo when it comes to this scale of show. Well, this is the biggest one. We also did a play uh, on Eyes Wide Shut last year. Um, we oh, did, oh fuck! So we did we did thighs wide shut, which was uh, <laughs> a queer reinterpretation of just the party scene from Eyes Wide Shut. So again, no Nicole Kidman, no Tom Cruise. We sort of imagined what would happen if that party was an ongoing thing that had been going on forever and moved around, and this was the San Francisco iteration of it. So guests got to come in their mask, in their cloaks, if they wanted to. It was a mask only event. And I should say eye mask, not face mask. Um, And people really responded to it and had a great time. And that was my first time sort of being writing the show, directing it. Big cast of 30. That was 40 performers. So, you know, pretty close. And that was at St. Joseph's Cathedral, which is an an old church that was reimagined into this wonderful event space. So it had that sort of feeling as well. So. Uh, that was sort of our training wheels event, right? We sort of got got what it would be like to do something on this scale. And it was part of the fun was sort of being among the people and moving through and watching the show while it's happening, but also being one of the participants in it. So I feel like I'm, you know, I think I'm ready. I think I'm prepared. But like you said, there's always a fire to put out. There's always something that happened. <laughs> so, uh, I, but I think that's all you can do is just go in as, as best prepared as you think you can be. And then just be also really open to things not going as plans. That's just kind of part of the deal with live theater anyway, in general. So we'll see, you know, the TBD, ask me afterward how it all went. But, uh, but I feel like with this team and with this material and with the venue support that this is going to be this kind of nothing else like it. You know, I've never seen anything quite like this in all my years of doing theater in the Bay Area. 
So I think when you're doing something like that, there's always the risk that things can go a little wonky. But I also feel like people will be really game to play in this world. So we'll see what that play looks like when we all get there. Who who was the director that we had on here that did an immersive theater? He was attending one. Um, remember, he he was at the end of a long PR run, and then he he did not give a fuck when he was talking. Oh, Bowsman! It was it was Bowsman. Darren Lynn Bowsman. What was he doing? He has he run he does like uh, I don't know. It's it's flash mobs, but not dancing. Yeah, it's like improv. I, however, whatever that means. Interesting. Yeah, he sets up. Uh, situations, uh, fake reality, and then everything. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, welcome to the Truman Show. I'm, yeah, I'm the director God. of Salt Two. I'm just, I was curious if you had known about it because he was telling us about it. He's like, yeah, like a hundred performers show up, and we do like an immersive thing. And yeah, I also like, think he was drunk when he talked to us. Too, he so might he have been. I mean, <laughs> he was pretty loose lipped that day. Yeah, I think this was before his return with um Spiral. That's right. Right. Yeah. So uh-huh. maybe he was a little. Chris Rock pulled him out of the bullpen. <laughs> he wasn't sure where his career was going. He ended up with us. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I had to say, Michael, I just I was so curious because renting out a building that's never done events before. Like, like, how do you even do that? Do you just contact them and say, like, hey, I'm curious. And then do you negotiate? Because I'm looking at that building. I'm like, this looks like. Like to a layman like me, I'm like, how much are you fucking paying to rent this place? Too like- much, way too much. It's so expensive. I mean, that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I knew that I wanted to do it there, uh, and uh, took a tour, and of course, we fell in love with it. And I should say that the venue has been really great about working with us, you know, and working uh, at at a much lower rate than they would for say corporate stuff. But better. Still, still very, you know, like for, for my scale, you know, I'm a I'm a full time performer in San Francisco. So you can imagine what that's like and what, yeah. what sort of budget I'm usually working with. And also, I should say that for all my projects, every single actor gets paid. Everybody that works on the show gets paid. I mean, it's nothing that we're going to retire on, but paying artists is very important to me personally. So, you know, this is not an exposure gig, which I've definitely had enough of in my life. And here I am still unexposed. So, you know, that's not not what I do with people. So, so it is a big risk, you know, like we're taking a really big risk with this. And um, also I think it's kind of risky when it's sort of something new and people don't quite know what it is. So I, I will say that, you know, like, our ticket sales are doing really well, but they could always do better. And I think that it's also one of those things where people are sort of still planning their pride. They're still not quite sure what they're going to do. And so I think everything will pick up this week as we're sort of getting into it. But, um, but yeah, you sort of have to take on the risk and sort of realize what, what's going to work for you and not. Um, so we'll see when it all happens, you know, what the actual attendance ends up being, how many people end up coming um, you know, I also want to make sure that artists that are sort of lower income have an ability to get there. And while these, these tickets can be a little pricey for people. So we offer some artist tickets and essential worker tickets that are a, a much cheaper. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely don't have it figured out, but we, uh, we went in, we negotiated a rate we thought would work. Uh, they were really excited to have it. I mean, that's the thing is that even though this venue's never done anything like it before, they're really excited to do something like this. And I think that it, yeah. uh, it's going to be really good for them to have a lot of different types in this space who have never seen it before, who will now get to discover it. Um, and hopefully, if things do go well, we'll do some more things there. I already have a couple of ideas for my next immersive things that we could do in that particular space 
and a few other spaces as well. So hopefully now, we can I do know something great. Well, we talk to mostly filmmakers and um, it's kind of a running theme. Like if you're making an indie horror, if you're not in America, there's government money for you mm-hmm. usually, mm-hmm. and they can tap into it. Is there any kind of local fund that you can tap into? I mean, I feel like you have a really good pitch here for how many jobs you're creating. Also, we're in dire need of good culture. Yes. I mean, I, and so this looks like a beautiful event. Is I hope San Francisco is helping you out in some way. Yeah, Michael, can you help save the city? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm doing, you know, that's the thing is that it's, it's really kind of hit me um, this last couple of weeks. You know, uh, Heclina was a really good friend of mine. Uh, and when I moved to the city, you know, there was so much great, cool, queer underground sh- stuff going on. And, uh, and now things, I, it sort of hit me within the last couple of weeks that, you know, who's going to do the cool, queer, weird shit now. And it's, it's us, you know, like yeah. we, we, our, our elders, the people that are culture makers, they're, they're aging, they're, they're leaving, they're dying, you know, like. Now the mantle falls to us as creators to make the the culture that we want to see in the city. So I want the queer stuff. I want the weird stuff. And I want the stuff that is not corporate, you know, that 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 is the, the underground, you know, the, the, the stuff where we can really go there because we don't have to worry about that sort of oversight. So. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, I would love some more support, institutional support. Uh, That'd be great. Uh, It's also something that I've never had before. So I've never really I don't even know how to look for it. You know, I don't I don't know. And nobody's offering it to me. So this is a very grassroots thing. This is all my own and my producer's money that we're putting up. This is all, you know, like in ticket sales. We're hoping that the ticket sales are sort of what fuel it. But I think we're finding now that like ticket sales aren't really enough. Like all those things that all those big theaters have been saying for years, you know, your ticket sales only are a portion of our proceeds. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You too, you know, look at this place. There's so many people in here, but it's true. You know, you do need some institutional support and there's a putting together a show like this is very expensive and the scale is so big and I don't want to compromise on that. So uh, it's definitely a learning experience. And maybe for the next one, I think once we've got our proof of concept and it goes you know, however it's going to go. But if it goes really well, maybe we will find some ways to get more community sponsorship, more community engagement. Um, We do have several great sponsors that are helping us out. Oasis is helping us out. Uh, We've got some floral sponsors and some drink sponsors. So we have some small engagement, but yeah, what's those, where's the big government grants for this stuff? Come on, City Hall. Don't make me go there dressed as the Joker and and hold you (laughs) hostage. Come on. Uh, yeah, sponsors has always been tricky for us too. Yeah, I um, we, we've done the film fest for f- six years now, and it's one of those things that we always talk about trying to do. Yeah, but like I feel like you can find who are the committed like artists when they're not chasing the dollar the whole time. But I also feel like we, <laughs> we got to start at some point. So when I look at your event, I'm like, God, I hope you're making money. (laughs) Are you, are you maxing out credit cards here? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're, so I have, uh, I have my production team that we're all sort of like putting in, you know? Um, so yeah, we're, we're sort of at the place where we're like, okay, yeah, we hope that this works out. Breaking even at this point would be great. I'd love it. Um, making money would be even better. 
But, you know, we're sort of, we went into this thinking like, even if we end up throwing a really great pride party, which the city needs no matter what, you know, when I look at pride offerings, I'm just sort of like, well, what if I don't want to do sort of a stand around, you know, circuit party? What if I want something that's a little more cultural, more storytelling, more fun, you know, like, no, you look at the theaters, there's just not that much content in terms of like pride stories, you know, like. So we had to sort of make the the pride event that we wanted to see in the city. Um, but so even if that is how we invest in our city and in ourselves right now, that is a win of sorts. But then, of course, then the rent is going to come due in July. And then it's like, well, great. I, yeah. I, I won, you know, quote unquote. But how am I going to pay this rent? So, you know, but that's the thing. It's always, you know, as a producer, as an independent producer, everything you do is is kind of a risk and and scaling like this. I'm sort of like, okay, did we do the right thing? Did we scale too big too fast? But you can't think like that. You know, you just no, you, you just got to do it. You know, if you if you get caught up in the the whys and the what ifs, uh, I think that you'll stop yourself. I know I do. So sometimes you have to do it before you think you're ready. And this is definitely <laughs> that thing. Uh, you know, if you wait till you're ready, you might never be ready and you never do the cool stuff. So, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm thinking about all these same things you're thinking about. But I'm also yeah. trying to stay positive that like, yeah, you know what? The community is going to show up. And even if they don't, we're having such a great time creating the show that the show is going to be fantastic for whoever is there. And that's what it's all about. Man, it's a big space. Big space. And that, you know, if you've never put on an event, that is, I feel, the scariest part. It, and it never goes away. Like, is anybody going to show up? Like, people could even be telling you that you believe. Yep. And, and then you could still be like, nobody's going to fucking be here. <laughs> and I look at this beautiful building and I'm like, how many how many people could you fit in here? Oh, yes. Yeah, so many. I mean, so many. But that's also the thing about site-specific theater, too, is that, like, if you go to, like, ACT, you can see right away how many seats are in there. And yeah. if there's not people in those seats, it feels empty. In a yeah. venue that's not a theater venue, you know, what is capacity really? Like, yes, it's a big venue for sure. But it, so we sort of have said like, there's two different ways that we could do this Wayne Gala, right? The one is there's tons of people here. We sell out and it's like packed to the gills and it's a huge party. The other version is the more intimate, the smaller, the creme de la creme of Gotham society right? And it's a smaller but mightier group of people. And then we can interact even more with folks, right? Like then then there's even more chance that one of these actors or one of these little storylines will sort of hit for you as a small, as a member of a smaller audience. So there there are sort of pros and cons to both. And I think that is one of the advantages of of site-specific theater is that it won't feel empty, even if there are a smaller amount of people in there and our cast is also so big that it's like well we add so (laughs) many bodies to the space as well and also just fun and interactivity as we're playing characters even among the audience we sort of are a part of the audience at the beginning and then everything goes to hell because it's gotham so (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know i i think because it, it being you know interactive that just forces the whole event to be kinetic and alive yeah And, um, you know, uh, like you were saying, you know, if you were to, you know, in a theater, you know, like the Warfield or some shit, you know, it's like, oh, that's 1200 people. I know that here you have no fucking idea because everything is moving. So, yeah, no, that that is 100 percent, you know, benefit to the show. Yeah. Russell, I have three more Batman questions. (laughs) I have a lot of logistics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, first thing, Michael, now, again, I think you're, you know, from my perspective, I think you're fighting an uphill battle here with uh, a, a Batman production in this fair city of San Francisco, as they have set a strong precedent 10 years ago. Uh, I just looked it up 10 years ago this November uh, with uh, famed Bat Kid. Yeah. So have you thought about bringing Bat Kid into the uh, into the play at all? Oh, my gosh. I should have. Yeah. <laughs> Does somebody Bat have his kid. number? Bat Kid, come save me, Bat Kid. You know, dude, I mean, Bat Kid was rad. Dude. Oh, the, the whole thing. And I think that the whole the way that the city responded to that and really, you know, it was just such a cool thing. That was I loved it. It was so beautiful. And like that is exactly what I, you know, as a kid, I would have loved that. I mean, so many people would just love that. And I just, I I love that as adults, we got to create that for Bat Kid, you know, so many people took part in that. So, so that is kind of the, the buy-in. San Francisco does buy-in in very interesting ways, especially for costumed events. We love a costumed event. We love to show up in our gear. We love Beta Breakers. We love Halloween. Um, People loved Thighs Wide Shut. We were sort of like, will people balk at this you have to wear a masquerade mask and you have to come in this like sort of theme and no people loved it so i hope that that will kick in for this as well as people are kind of experience like what do i want to do for pride you know that there's this opportunity that you can go in this cosplay Uh, and of course you know we know that from all of our comic conventions that we're we're a city that is game for cosplay so I'm so, bring your bring your bat suit, baby. Bring your poison ivy vines. Like, sure. let's do this. All right, and then Russell, I've only got two more things. Very quick, very quick uh, trivia things. I want to make make sure that Michael knows this about Uh-oh. the original 1960s Batman series. <laughs> okay. Uh, th- th- a couple of rumors about this. Uh, rumor number one about Caesar Romero, who played the Joker. Yeah. Um, that he had a fetish. Um, where he would stand in a, a children's uh, tub, you know, the little children's, you know, uh, the, uh, little pool, the, a kiddie pool. Kiddie okay. pool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he would stand in a kiddie pool. A children's tub was really close. <laughs> <laughs> children's tub. Wasn't sure where we were going with that. But kiddie <laughs> <laughs> kiddie pool filled with water Okay. to which he would uh, de-pants himself bend over and would have, you know, very nice looking Puerto Rican models uh, throw orange wedges at his ass. And that's what he enjoyed. Wow. <laughs> that, do you have okay. a room for that? I, now I do. That is so specific. I love the orange wedges yeah. too. Like what? Not, not orange lemons, wedges. not limes. Nope. Had to be orange. orange. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have so many questions Wait. about that now, but. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm playing the Joker in this production. Very excited. Oh, well, well, well. To step into that mantle. So, I mean, I got, I got a kiddie pool. I do a show called Baloney, which is Gabe All Male Burlesque. We do a gunge number all the time. So, we've got like sort of a mess pool. I mean, I could buy some oranges. Oh. That'll fit the budget. Why not? I'm happy to help. <laughs> happy to help. Thank you for that. Thank you. But no, you touched upon the Joker thing. I mean, you know, Michael, there's a lot of different interpretations oh, yeah. of the Joker. Yeah. And it is, it, you know, so how how are you navigating that character? I think a little bit of everything, you know, like I think why why choose? There's so many great things to, to pull from all of these different interpretations. So everybody from Caesar to Mark Hamill to Jack Nicholson to Heath Ledger 
to that other weird one and the more recent one, you know, like there's a little yeah. bit of everybody to pull from. Uh, but I also think that it's important to sort of make it your own, you know, and to not necessarily do what anybody else has done before. So I've always just loved the idea of this like chaotic mischief maker, you know, with this homicidal edge, of course, but I'm, I am down for chaotic mischief. So I feel like that's not too much of a stretch. Then the idea is just sort of like, how dark do you want to go? Right. And, and like we said yeah. earlier, it is a pride event. I don't want to go too dark, but of course he has to hold everybody hostage and poison them all with his Joker venom, you know, and then like those are the stakes, <laughs> you know? So if we don't finish this show by a certain point, you're all going to drop dead. So, you know, that's part of the, the ticking clock of it all. Um, and then of course, I think that part of the fun of this character nowadays is in how he interplays with his, his mall Harley Quinn. So that uh, the nineties cartoon was really such a, formative part for me and that character was created in the 90s cartoon so it's just a classic clown pairing of harley and joker and so that sort of classic clowning is definitely something that we'll do on the stage um and that that relationship is really powerful i wonder what they're going to do in this new movie i'm sort of like i don't know gaga and and joaquin who knows how that will take out it's a hell of a pair yeah yeah, we'll see. I'm pumped. From the director of The Hangover. <laughs> so strap in. Yep. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, we'll see. And, and the last one, uh, just just so we're all clear, uh, uh, reportedly Burt Ward, who played uh, Robin in yep. the original series, enormous penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You heard that too? I have heard that. And he had a, he there had like, a, didn't he do a tell-all book that was like yeah. kind of a lot? He, he, he laid it all out there. Now I kind of always thought that that he was a gay man, but maybe not. No, he's no. I uh, Sid Caesar, but uh, Burt Ward, I believe, uh, preferred the females. Yeah. And also, I also said I heard that he uh, outed Adam West for being hung like an elevator button. So, <laughs> who knows? Right, right. Who's the sidekick now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they those guys got so much. Tail. I, I mean, mean, let's be real. They were they were stars, you know. And of course, they were two channels, and they were on one of them. <laughs> exactly. Like <laughs> wow. Know? So I should probably read that tell-all book. I'm sure that there's there's a lot to it. But uh, but yeah, yeah I think about that in the '60s and playing like superheroes on TV, and there that was really the only only thing like that. So oh man, they must have been very popular with the ladies. Well, <laughs> all right, Michael. I know we got to wind down here soon, but. You clearly you're not afraid to put on a big event and you can handle these crazy warlike logistics. Have you ever thought of taking a break and maybe, you know, doing something boring, like making a movie? <laughs> Funny you should say that. So uh, just before the pandemic, I did uh, make a feature film. So uh, my feature film, The Bride of Death is uh is based on a play that I wrote. Uh, it was we completed production in 2019. Uh, it's completely done. I started submitting for film festivals in early 2020. We all know how that went. Uh, so it's one of those <laughs> things where it is literally sitting in a drawer, done, fabulous. And the pandemic hit, it changed everything. I didn't want it to premiere on, uh, on streaming, you know, like the tw 2020 film festivals, what they became, it just wasn't what I wanted to, to do with the film. 
And plus I had to, you know, then I also had to survive, you know, like how do you as a performer survive during 2020 when you can't perform? So, you know, movies cost money. They don't make money. I mean, at least at this level that I'm at. So I sort of had to put it on the back burner for a while, but now here we are, you know, it's 2023 now and, uh, you know, film festivals are back. Um, so my goal for the movie was always to watch it in a room full of people who love horror because it's a horror film, of course. Um, so, uh, so I'm going to, I think I'm going to circle back to that once this finishes, uh, I think that the bride of death might need to come to life either this year or next year. We'll see, we'll see what happens, but thank you for asking. Yeah, you did. You didn't strike me as a uh, pretentious black and white director here, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, no spoilers, but it does become color eventually. But uh, but yes, that is uh, that is one of those those things that um, it's it takes place in the era of black and white. So we go with black and white. Basically, the the, the elevator pitch on that one is it's about a, a, a stage actress from the Grand Guignol, if you're familiar, uh, yeah. who goes missing for 30 years, leaves the public eye, and then comes back to make a film version of the, her play that made her famous, The Bride of Death. But when the photographer and reporter come to interview her about her big comeback, they find that she has not aged a day in the 30 years that she's been gone. So then that starts the whole mystery of how this all could have happened. And of course, with terrible bloody results. So, Wow. How long have you been holding this for three years now yeah yeah sitting in a drawer for about three years done ready to go it's all finished yeah man i i want to watch it i know you have screeners <laughs> going it looks good yes I'm- we gotta do it before i do it so so thank you for so keep me honest on that please uh keep keep asking because uh i want to do it feels like the time is now finally right and I mean, just, you know how it is with horror. It, there's always an audience for it and you don't need a yeah. big star. You just need a great story. And, oh, yeah. uh, and this one has a great story and I've, I've never seen anything quite like it before. Um, so it's low budget. It's, it's cult. It's underground. You know, it, it's got all the things that we love. Uh, but it's also, you know, really well acted. It was, it was sort of started on stage. It was all about the staginess of, of, uh, you know, coming into film, um, so I think you guys would really love it. So I'll, 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 I'll get it out there for you. I promise. Well, please do. And if you ever want to just show a movie, make anything in world camera found footage. And you always have a home out here. Yes. We, uh, we did our last film fest over at the four star. Have you been there? Oh, Are yeah. you a movie guy? Do you go out a lot? I mean, yes. I, uh, not while I'm working on this show, unfortunately, if I'm yeah. like, you know, if I have a night off, I have to be working. But I love going to films, and I also love going to classic films in the theater. You know, I, I think Terror Tuesdays and Weird Wednesdays one of my favorites. Cool. I love everything yeah. that they're doing at the at the Vogue and the Four Star. Like, and I think going to those theaters is is much more important to me than the big multiplex stuff. So, so yeah, what, what what's good? Where, where where do you guys go? All of them, Everywhere. pretty much. Yeah, we, we also go to the to the malls too. Yeah. I um. We started frequencing Daily City. To the malls. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, Tan Fran, yeah. you know, the dead mall. I mean, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of a bummer now. You oh, go in there. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. It's like end times in there a little bit, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's not. I think they're going to be around for another couple years. No, no, no. At least. That, but that doesn't change the fact that when you go in there, it you have it is the same warmth 
that I imagine you would feel if you walked into Abu Ghraib. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, not a welcoming place. No, yeah, in yeah. Daly City, it's a little bit more intimate. There's yeah. beer and yeah. wine. And, yeah. But then you're stuck in Daly City. I know. Right. I know. <laughs> it's not, you can see Bart out the window. It feels very... And fog. And, yeah. yeah. A lot of culture. Yeah. No, but... Hey, I'm not joking. Are you a found footage fan? I mean, yeah, I, I love that genre. And and I love that that is, uh, you know, talk about the Blair Witch being like formative theater, uh, formative yeah. film. Yeah. I mean, so is that that's the, the focus of your festival? Yeah, we do. Uh, when I tell people who aren't that into film, I'm like, all the movies are like the Blair Witch. But really, we we kind of have an umbrella of in-world camera. Yeah. So any any product that is made by the characters in the movie. Yeah. So like Spinal Tap would fit in. Right. Or what we do in the shadows because they're mockumentaries. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing we've talked about forever doing is a uh, small like Blair Witch parody block. Ooh. And it's like. Oh, I don't know if Michael could make something with that. That might be the thing we need to kick it off. Oh, I love but there is, there is a lot of Blair Witch parody. Oh yeah, and not all of it is porn. There's, there's a lot. <laughs> Most of it's true. Yeah, are dealt with thumbs. No, yeah, but we do. Like I have this right next to me. The, the Polly Shore one. Which project? Polly Shore. <laughs> oh. Yeah, buddy. Now you're speaking yeah. my language. Yes. <laughs> Talk about nineties nostalgia. Love it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael, uh, I'm going to do my best to get Clark out there. We're going to make the uh, children's tub uh, <laughs> a reality. But man, you got to be in contact. Like, um, God, we didn't even talk about Buffy. Uh, you, do you know we will we never? We will never live down the fact that we did not go and see one of your Buffy shows with Terrell. Uh, oh, I remember we were at the Alamo one night after a Terror Tuesday, and we saw a flyer on a flag on a, a flagpole on a telephone pole. And I'm like, wait, they're doing Buffy drag? And Trell was like, we have to go. Yeah. And then Oksana and I were like, yeah, of course we have to go. But we never did. Uh, Terrell did one time and talks. He reminds us every fucking year about it. <laughs> so they, get a drink. The moral, yeah. always do what Terrell's doing. I, I found that pretty cool. <laughs> Whatever he's doing, I'm like, I got to go to that. Um, yeah. I mean, for years at Oasis, that was our, our October show. And we... I, I'm a huge Buffy fan, uh, and it was such an honor to step into those '90s boots, those chunky-heeled '90s boots, and uh, <laughs> and play the sort of teenage Slayer in my late 30s, uh, and uh, and just to also reinterpret that show, and from the perspective of huge fans, you know, we can make fun of it, but loving fun, and anything yeah. in drag is sort of parody already. But we would sort of encapsulate a whole season into one night. So all of season one, all of season two, all of season three. So I would tell people, you know, like, yeah, it's the one where so this is the one where I have sex with my boyfriend and then it takes his soul and then he tries to kill me, you know. <laughs> so we would put it all in one, the whole season arc in one just kind of fast and furious. Um, but then when we did the musical episode, that became it. I mean, it was such a great, it's an amazing episode. It's a great stage show. Um, so we did that three times over three different years, uh, pre and post pandemic, um, to great audience effect. And it's so great. I mean, people from all over the world came to see that show. Sarah Michelle Geller posted about the first Buffy drag. Like so it was incredible. So I don't think that Buffy's going away, but who knows what, what form she'll come in next or what, what then we, you know, do we do season four? Do we do season five? I don't know. It starts to get a little, little, a little, 
hairy for me as we go on like season six season seven like all is one yeah. i don't know about all that but um but i would love to kick glory's ass on stage that would be so <laughs> oh, talk about a drag villain oh my god she's already doing it'd be perfect yeah here's okay and i have to say before we end this that i michael's brand i think you 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 put it best you you take things and you expect like pure parody and it's not and the thing I loved about Scream was it clearly was coming from a fan's perspective yeah. and you were giving it like a nuance, like there, there was like very nuanced twist. And also when you hear music, I don't know, you might be like me and you might cringe a little and be like, oh God, this is not going to be good. Fantastic. <laughs> Everything from the event being, and again, I talk about on this show, stand up comedy used to scare me because I never wanted to be a part of the show. Yeah. Like I'm like, Oh God, don't, I know I look like a fucking weirdo. Don't call on me, please. <laughs> but in, in this event, man, it's, and it came right out of COVID when we went to scream, I couldn't have felt more comfortable and like more connected to like a community. Damn. So I, I don't know. Your fucking Batman thing is probably going to be incredible. Oh, I'm dude. I go see with that. or without bat kid. Yeah. yeah. With or without. And he, He's still alive. I looked it up. Yay. He he is. I also checked. <laughs> so uh, now w what's the date? Where can we buy tickets? Yeah. So it's uh, Pride in Gotham is the event. It's June 20th through the 24th. That's Tuesday through Saturday night. Uh, Gotham Pride is our website. You can get all of the tickets there at GothamPride.com and read a little bit more about the show and all the people that are in it. Damn. Dude. Oksana, we're going to go, right? Yes. I can answer yes. for you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me know like, when. I'd love to have you guys there. If we're, it's Dude. and then uh, yes, and I promise I won't mess with you too much as the Joker. I promise. I promise. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.